Welcome to Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a pint. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Yes, very excited. We have ourselves a sponsor for the first time, Craft Beer Cellar. They are a family of retail craft beer stores focused on amazing beer, hospitality, and education. They've got 23 locations in 11 states across the country. So chances are there is one near you. I have one here in my uh, neighboring town of Amesbury, and that's where I am picked up my beer for tonight's show. I'll tell you about later. And there are about 600 different beers in stock, so it's a place to go if one's near you. Uh, so you can go to craftbeercellar.com for the location closest to you and keep listening. Next month we will have some opportunities to win free beer from Craft Beer Cellar. So we are glad to have them on board. They are the first, they're the risk takers, they're getting in on the ground level and we congratulate them. Exactly. And just to clarify, it's Craft Beer Cellar with a C, like go pick something up good from down in the cellar, not the other way to spell it. <laughs> the other way to spell it. Oh, with an S, like a cellar. Person spelling spell. it, yeah. Exactly. Oh. Craft Beer Cellar, C-E-L-L-A-R. A-R. Super excited. Dot com. Good call. Good call. On tonight's, that's right. On tonight's show, we discuss Valentine's Day. We discuss whether you can be a Christian and a socialist. We wonder together why communication is so hard between conservative and progressive Christians. We might sneak in a little Jonathan Edwards and maybe even a little bit of Baha'i. So stay tuned. We've got a great show. You can join the conversation on Twitter by following us at PubTheology and use the hashtag PTLive. You can comment on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PubTheology. Watch live Tuesdays 9 p.m. Eastern Time at PubTheology.com slash PTLive. Or you can listen anytime at SoundCloud.com slash PubTheologyLive. So let's say hello, friends. Who have we got with us tonight, and what are you drinking? Um, I think we, we've got our home crew. No guests tonight. It's just us. Um, All right. I am uh, Reverend Ogan Holder. I'm here in uh, Newburyport, Massachusetts, Minister of Unity on the River in Amesbury. And tonight I am trying a new beer. It is a Scottish beer called Innes and Gun. Oh. And it is a rum-aged Beer, beer aged with rum oak chips. I've never tried it before. This was my first sip, and uh, I, I I picked this up from the craft beer cellar with a C. Uh, well done, I like it. So, so take a sip. I want to see if you like it. Oh, nice. Yes, I do. The winner. I do. I can. There's. I can actually get a little rum flavor aftertaste going on there. Exactly. Dark, a little malty, and just a little rum on the back, right? It is a winner. I'm going to log that on my untapped app. I'm going to get them to be a sponsor before this thing's out. (laughs) Awesome. Well, glad to have you with us, Ogan and Tina. Tell us uh, what you're drinking and who you are. This is uh, Tina Simmons. I'm in Richmond, Virginia, Um, and I have the same thing I had last week. I have my, um, my Rebel Grapefruit IPA from Sam Adams. Is that the actual same bottle of beer you were drinking last week? No, no, it's the same six-pack. You know me, I don't drink very quickly. You, you know, when you buy beer, you know you can you can mix them, right? You can get a variety of beer in a, in a six-pack. You don't have to buy yeah. six of all the same. I'm just saying it might help with the variety of... Or is that you like this one so much you're, you're locked into this? boring again? No, I'm saying that variety is the spice of life. Are you locked into this particular beer? You really like it? No, I was just trying it. I okay. like a grapefruit. I don't like the collection that they have in the singles. We're going to have to... You know what? So I forgot to mention this. Plug now sponsor even more. Uh, Craft Beer Cellar with a C. Um, they don't have an online retail store yet, but they're actually working on that. So that's going to come later this year. When they do, we're going to have to send you some good stuff. And guess what? They sell wine, too. Exactly. Sweet. There you go, just for you. Exactly. What do you got going on there? And I'm uh, Brian Berghoff here in Holland, uh, Michigan, and I'm a pastor and writer, and tonight I am drinking uh, Sprite. Oh, Is that allowed? What, wait, why? What happened? <laughs> it's called recovering from uh, a day of a stomach that's not been treating me nice, so I am trying to return the favor and be nice that's to why, my stomach. But that's why you need alcohol. Alcohol that's what hot toddies are for. <laughs> exactly. Alcohol disinfects. 
All right, we'll let you go today, Brian. Last week we had last week we had uh, our friend Hugh Howell drinking water. Now now Brian's drinking Sprite. I mean, the show is the show is falling apart. I know. What's up I, with I've, that? I've gotten dropped twice here, guys, but I'll, I'll do my best to hang with you. Yeah, Actually, you're back, and it looks like you're you're still on the previous call. Yeah, it looks like you're showing up twice. <laughs> it's all right. As long as we can hear you one way. All right. Oh, I'm not sure what's happening there. The, yeah, so, the, hangout, the hangout has our, a frozen picture of you drinking your Sprite. I think that should be like our official or our unofficial show logo. That's awesome. I'll see if I can uh, nix that one. But let's move to our first topic for tonight, which is Valentine's Day. How was your Valentine's? And does this holiday, in quotes, make you happy or make you want to throw up? <laughs> well, I'm only throwing up if I eat too much. <laughs> and and I did ingest a, a, probably an inordinate amount of chocolate-covered strawberries. So that, that did have me feeling a bit queasy. But... Um, I, I had I, I had a good I had a good weekend. It was one of those it was a weird let's say um 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 complex emotional weekend for me, uh simply because on uh, February thirteenth is my wedding anniversary and you all know uh my wife passed away last June, so there was the memory of that. But I am also now dating a wonderful new um, woman and we had a good time this weekend as well. So it was it was a whole like kind of emotional. I was in an emotional basket case, but there were a basket of emotions that um, I could choose from at any given moment. But generally, it was it was a good weekend. And like I said, lots of lots of sweets, lots of sugar, um, and but but I I'm fortunate in that. Um, um, my my girlfriend, her name is Stacy. She said um, the expectation. She doesn't have any expectations that I do much for her on Valentine's Day. So, as far as I'm concerned, I've lucked out. All right, all right. Well, thanks for sharing that. And uh, yeah, man, a lot going on. Totally understand that. So appreciate appreciate you sharing that, Ogan. Tina, what about you? Uh, did you uh, ignore uh, have chocolate or what? Well. Um... I'm not really the kind of person that, you know, Valentine makes me throw Valentine's Day makes me throw up, but I do have to say that over the years I've developed this attitude about it. Um I consider it a Hallmark holiday and I think um Stacy's a gem um for for her attitude, but I, I think there's a lot of expectations surrounding it and a lot of marketing and it's just um I don't know, I think it's it's a Good way to cause a lot of uh, uh, to to bring up a lot of um, emotions that I don't know. I I think it's just causing asking for trouble. But anyhow, that being said, um, I I spent Valentine's Day by, by myself last year <clears throat> as a single person. Um, but I've realized like this year. Well, I, I got Valentine's week this year, I'll tell you that, okay? Because the guy I'm dating, he's 2,300 miles away from me, so the weekend before, I got to see him. So we, we had dinner, and um, we stayed in a hotel, because we meet in Pennsylvania, um, and we had a really great time. And then this week, he sent a package to me and my, my boys, so it was kind of like a Valentine's week for me. But Valentine's Day, I try to make special for my boys, for as, as much as I say, I you know, it's whatever. Um, I always try to make it special for them. So we had a really good day. I took them to lunch. I made them homemade brownies with ice cream and strawberries and raspberries. And so, yeah, it was it was overall it was a lot of it was good. So I'm I'm rethinking Valentine's Day. How about that? That's good. That's good. I like bringing the kids into it. You know, it can be yeah. fun for them. Uh, some candy and chocolate. I did nothing. And... I did nothing for my daughter. Parent of the year. Nice. Well, you know, she's not in town. She's she's off visiting. She's she's in Raleigh, North Carolina. She's in a whole different state. She's visiting other friends and family, and uh, you know, I, I I took it as uh, you're gonna uh, buy <laughs> celebrating the time she's gone. Um. So so yeah, didn't didn't do anything. How about you, Brian? That's a good question. Uh, my wife's in the same room, so I can't lie about how well I've done on Valentine's. <laughs> Let's see how you really have do. Have I done on Valentine's? I'd say average or below average. 
but probably not above average. I've done pretty good. I've done pretty good, she says. All right. Pretty good. Hey, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> I got her a book. Uh, she told me what she wanted this year, so that helped. I got her got her a book and threw in some chocolate, and there you go. See, I think there should be more of that. I think there should be more of of partners telling each other what they want, not having to play the guessing game and then the ex- <laughs> disappointment game. Say what you want, and then then you know that will increase the likelihood that you get what you want. Mm. Yep. Yep. I, I don't agree. know. I, I kind of like the element of surprise, but I also don't think there should be any expectations. Um, and I also think Valentine's Day should be equal. It shouldn't be just the guys getting the girls something. I think the girls should there, be getting girls something too. There should be both and. If, if your expectation is to receive something, state what you want, but then also, yes, I think you should throw in the element of, of surprise. Um, um, Stacy and I share share um, a common gastronomic um, need, so we eat a lot of food. And so um, the funny story is, I'd ordered some chocolate covered strawberries. I'd ordered some for us and some for my staff at work as a gift during the week. I'd ordered I'd ordered six for us and twelve for the staff at work. I got the orders confused, so the six showed up at work and the twelve showed up here. Oh, I'm sure it's complete accident. All twelve. <laughs> wow. I'm sure it's complete accident, Ogan. Yeah, it, 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 well, you know what? It was probably a subconscious, subliminal <laughs> kind of thing, but uh, but I, it was, it was, it was what it was. It was what it was. It was what it was. Well, any, uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's keep moving here, uh, unless there's any last. No, I don't see on Valentine's. Think... I'm good. I'm good with Valentine's. We'll revisit this again next year. Great, great. All right, so <laughs> episode <number> two. <laughs> exactly. Question two: An evangelical blogger on Pathos said recently, "You can be a Christian and a socialist. You just should not be." Do you agree or disagree with that sentiment? In other words, can a person be a Christian and? Be a socialist. I didn't. I didn't read. I didn't read the post. What was his rationale for the "you should not be"? His rationale was, um, well, he looked at some historical instances of um, of socialism, um, Russia, China. Um, he looked at you know some of the uh, totalitarian states, which I would say were. Not democratic socialism, which is right. sort of what's being talked about in the current election cycle, um, but more uh, communism, uh, or as I said, a totalitarian state. Um, so those aren't quite apples and oranges, but then he did get into a little bit of uh, some uh, Western European nations that have a form of socialism, and he seemed to think it wasn't going that well there. And he, his general thought was, you should not be compelled by the state or by the government to be a generous person and socialism tries to enforce uh, morality, whereas as a Christian, you should prefer a government that keeps their hands out and gives you the freedom to be a person who is generous rather than um, forcing your generosity through higher taxes and then sort of using those in infrastructure and public good and all of that. I think, I think in theory, socialism is a good idea. I think what what messes it up is when the the wrong people are running the system, you know. And the and the perfect the perfect illustration of that was Animal Farm. I don't know if you guys remember that book um, that's, that spoke to that, um, and we see it in in China, and we saw it back in the day in Russia as well. So, so it's it, in order for socialism to work well, you've got to get the right ethical and moral people running the system. And as we all know, when people are people are involved, it often goes south really fast. Um, okay, so, so real quick. So, uh-huh. Go ahead. Go ahead, finish. No, um, so I was going to say, I think if the right ethical and more people are in charge of the system of socialism, I think it will work well, and I think there is something to be said for um, for those who have a lot to be compelled to share if they don't want to do it 
on their own because then it becomes like a real hoarding situation. I always say we don't have an issue with with um, we don't have an issue with supply in this world. We have an issue with distribution. And you know when when we have in this country, for example, so few people controlling the, the vast majority of the wealth. That's that's a distribution problem. I'm not saying we should be freeloading. Um, and you know, to be to play the devil's advocate, you will have freeloaders as well. But I'm saying, when 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 that kind of wealth is is shared in a more equitable way, everybody benefits. You know, the, what is it? The rising tide that raises all ships. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Okay, but the original question was, uh, a, um, <clears throat> a Christian shouldn't agree with being a socialist and. I guess my point is, you know, he's talking about all the socialist societies that exist, but if we're going to talk about the, the question as just a pure question, what is the pure definition of socialism? I mean, not not how China did it, not how Russia did it. What is the pure definition of it? I don't know. Trying to see how fast Wikipedia can come up. Yeah, I was going to look it up. Yes, it is a political and economic theory of social organization that advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. Okay, so um, if Jesus were alive today, because I always go back to this, if Jesus were alive today, do you think he wouldn't agree with that? I think if Jesus were alive today, he wouldn't really be involved in politics. Well, and don't look at it as a political thing, though. Look at it as a people thing. Do you think he would agree with everybody working together and 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 taking care of each other? Well, yes, but one would make can make the argument that he would his emphasis would be more on our spiritual welfare than anything else. Um, and to use the example of when. He was asked about paying taxes. He just said, "Pay your taxes." He he didn't go into any great, you know, discourse on the political versus spiritual setup. The the angst if there's only one God and we owe allegiance to that God, should we owe allegiance to Caesar? And he just said, "Pay your taxes," and moved on. Okay, but so, I don't think that's relevant to to whether he would agree with socialism or not. He he told us to take care of the widowed. He told us to keep, take care of. The, the it it does because socialism is I mean it it is a it is a political it is I mean when we talk about governance that's where politics comes in socialism is is a form of community governance but it is governance but but it's also a thought process I mean it's it's a governance but it's also a thought process a a way of life what you agree with is kind of like part of, of whatever. Okay. That was, that was that was well said. <laughs> well, I mean, I you know, so it's an interesting question. Um, would Jesus endorse that kind of a thing? And at some level, yes, he was about uh, the spiritual and the inner life and was certainly a master of teaching on those topics. But I think he also... Um, as you can see through his parables and through his Sermon on the Mount and so on, was very interested in how we treat one another and live functionally in the physical world in community. Um, and I so I think you that. could, I think you could, yeah. And I, and so I think you could, you could extrapolate from that that maybe certain forms of socialism or you name some other sort of system could be consonant with or in line with values Jesus held and taught, but Jesus, of course, didn't come to sort of construct a political way of being as much as a way of, um, at least as per run by the state, but rather a way of being community together. Um, And, of course, what's religious and what's political, those things sort of bleed over, and they didn't have those um, dichotomies such as we do today back then. but if you look at his earliest followers in Acts 2 uh, and um, so forth, it says you know they were all of one mind and had everything in common, and that there were people selling property and pooling the resources together so that there was no one in need among them. Yeah, and when people held back, they were kind of struck dead. So they had, <laughs> yeah, it was, they had some harsh, 
harsh penalties. So really, get with the programmer else. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we can we complain now. We complain now about having to deal with penalties from the IRS. I'm like, you know, at least no one's showing up striking you dead. Yowzers. I guess I, sure. I just I don't understand the point. I don't understand his point that Christians shouldn't be socialists. I mean, well, I guess I guess I understand what he's saying that 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 we should that as, as Christians, if we call ourselves Christians and follow Christian ethics, that um, taking care of e- each other should come to us naturally. We don't we don't need government enforcement for that. And yeah, for me, very- for me, I'm saying that that. You know that tenant of love your neighbors yourself and and take care of the the poor and everyone that 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 should stand alone regardless of whatever political system is in place whether it's socialism capitalism whatever it is you know you you, you do that either because studies sh- I mean research has shown when you take care of everyone the entire society does better and so um, I I I wouldn't be surprised if this is It'd be interesting to find out this particular blogger's political affiliation. Is it safe to assume that that he's conservative, or am I reaching? I'm pretty sure it's safe to assume that. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that's I'm, safe I'm, to assume, and you'd be correct. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm still stuck on you shouldn't. I mean, what? I don't know. So he's obviously not writing from a purely objective place. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> That's exactly right. What was the quote I saw today from uh, John Steinbeck? Oh, I know what you're talking about. He said, he said, socialism never took root in America because the poor see themselves not as an exploited proletariat, but as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Ah. In other words, we have something unique in the American psyche about this um, rugged individualism, this pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps, and regardless... Dream of your beginnings, regardless of your challenges, you can become anything you want. And in other nations, they've realized, eh, not quite. Well, here it's not quite either, but, you know, we still... I think I think there's something to be said. Not something to be said, but I, I, I think if you really get want to get conspiracy theory, you think that American dream is a conspiracy. Do I think the American dream is a conspiracy? Conspiracy? I, no, I'm saying I think it is. I I, I think it is because, um, you know, it when when you think about it, the idea of yes, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, working hard, and doing all that kind of stuff, it's you know who are you working hard for? Is it yourself? You still you know you're still making someone who's rich richer in the course of doing this, and and when you look at the statistics, you know, overnight success. Whether it's winning the lottery or you know building an app or a social media platform that 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 revolutionizes and you become an overnight billionaire or you build a company and Google buys it and you know when you look at the odds and all of that that is so much more smaller than you know an internet company that goes belly up right. or a, a small business that starts and fails but you know it's I I, I think there is where is that fine line between you know, hope, optimism, and faith, and just plain ignoring the facts and statistics that says the chances of you becoming success and successful in that way are, is so very slim. Right, right. And, and I mean, what I find interesting in this conversation is that many uh, of my <clears throat> more conservative friends will use the line of argument that this um, blogger was using that, you know, we can't be or should not be compelled or forced to be um, charitable or generous uh, by the government through taxes, we should be free to be taxed as little as possible and then through our churches, um, you know, give and help the poor and all of that. That's working so well. But exactly. The reality is the average giving uh, to churches is somewhere like 2.5% of what people make and... The average budget of a church that goes outside that church's walls toward anything in terms of charity or um, helping the poor tends to be less than 10%, probably much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea that you know uh, we don't need all that money for schools, uh, infrastructure, roads, uh, 
good water piping, as we see the issue uh, happening recently in uh, in my own state in Flint. Um, you know, we need the government to do those things. And for me, I feel like I want a society that reflects the values that I have of caring for each member and, in fact, caring for those most at risk, uh, especially not one that says, hey, you're all on your own and let's hope there's some charity somewhere that can set you straight. Yeah. Yeah, but there's so much judgment in this country. <clears throat> I mean, I think... Huh? And greed. There's a certain, there's a certain, there's, there's not a certain element of being content with where you are. There's, there's this underlying thing of if we are not making X amount or having this such a level of popularity or whatever that somehow we are, we are failing. Like I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I, I. I'm doing a job that I love. It, it's my bliss. I love it very much. I'm not making a whole lot of money doing it. I'm not going to become a millionaire doing my job as it stands, but that's not making me stop doing my job because I've realized that contentment and fulfillment is not about what's on the paycheck. But I think for a lot of uh, folks here in this country, we, we've been sent, you know, kind of been given this message that success is equated with a level of celebrity, a level of popularity, a level of financial, you know, gain. And, right. and if we're not doing that, we're doing something wrong. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, as, uh, as we've been hearing, at least uh, from some in this uh, campaign, we just have... Uh, the levels of inequality between the richest and the poorest in this nation are at record levels, and pay is increasing uh, at high levels yeah. for um, CEOs and top corporate executives, whereas the average worker, um, per inflation, if you look at what people are making in the kinds of jobs that were happening in the 70s um, and 60s, you could, you know, you could have just a regular old job, not expect to be in debt for college, you could buy your own house, um, have two cars, and good to go. Today, it's much harder to do that uh, for the average worker. It's almost impossible to do that. Not, not much and that harder. was on one income. I, I know. It, you know, it, it boggles, like, I, I, I love living here in the United States. I, I love the opportunities that are afforded to me, you know, and it still boggles my mind that there's this narrative that says we're the greatest country in the world and we'll be tight anybody who says otherwise out loud. And I'm like, you know, that's 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 a nice narrative, but it's not really true when you look at facts and statistics and right. and you know when what what it would cost for us. You know, when you look at like health insurance, for example, you know who's who is going to benefit the least from us having, you know. "Quote unquote socialized healthcare, like Canada or most European countries." Logan, as long as we tell ourselves that we're the greatest country in the world, we don't have to change. We don't have to dig deep and, exactly. and tackle these issues. Exactly, exactly. There's a certain there's a certain amount of of arrogance of of national arrogance. I mean, I I support the idea of national pride, but. I think the national pride has has shifted over into national arrogance that that's blinding people to the fact that no we are we are not the greatest country in so many different categories and we seem and at the same time so many of us are complaining about things as they are and but not wanting to do the things that other countries are doing that actually work and it's it's kind of a weird dichotomy to witness well, it's our arrogance that we don't want to learn from anybody else because we know everything. Yeah, there's 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 that too. Yeah, and I, I saw somebody along the lines of our question here, um, can you be a Christian and a socialist, um, who posted you know something saying, no, you, you can't be. And, and then someone in the comments said, yeah, I think uh, capitalism is the biblical form of uh, economic... Uh, Having a society economically, and he quoted one verse. I think it was like First Thessalonians two eight or something like that, which is probably the verse that says, "If you don't work, you don't eat." But <laughs> I just find it funny that like one verse will take priority over you know 
themes in Scripture, whole books, whole Old Testament books, and models of um, right. community where you're always making space for those on the edges and the margins of your community, whether that's leaving the edges of your field for people to glean and always have something to eat if they don't have a farm of their own, or whatever it is, um, the early Christians we mentioned in Acts or any number of other texts. But yeah. this one verse... That one verse. Yeah. That's when, I mean, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes, he didn't sell them. They could have financed that whole ministry off of one day of sales. From bread and fish. Exactly. Megachurch, it would have been awesome. Could have sold t-shirts. You know, I was there at the feeding of the 5,000. Very exactly. Exactly. Or exactly. tunics, you know, whatever. He could have set up a whole. He could have set up a whole learn to walk and water franchise, and <laughs> really, really raked in the dough. Exactly. Weather control, calm the storms in your life. <laughs> Where he went wrong, he decided he decided to be a charitable giver instead of a capitalist. <laughs> I've got it. We we gotta write a book of Jesus were a capitalist. Oh my God, that's what we're doing. That would be, that would be good. I am so down with that, Ogan. It would be so fun. <laughs> trademark, right. trademarking that. By the way, trademark. Nobody else. <laughs> because you're just like Jesus, Ogan. Because Jesus would <laughs> trademark that. <laughs> just if he were capitalist, he would. That's the whole point of making. Brian, I think you need to take us to the next category. I was right on that. So number three, there seems to be a widening gulf between uh, conservative, more conservative-minded Christians and more liberal or progressive-minded Christians. Um, and so the question is, what are the issues of difference and what makes communication so difficult? Hmm. I, well, I don't know, but I think, I think part of it is the... Um, for me, progressive Christianity seems to be one that takes context into account more than not. Hmm. So, you know, times have evolved, times are changing, you know, these ideas that we may have hold that we may have held as true in Christianity are kind of really not holding right now because we've evolved as a people. Um, you know, I can think of uh, you know, women's rights and where where women uh, fit into the whole scheme of uh, like church and life in general, you know, people of other sexual orientations. Um, these are ideas that, if you stick with the more conservative idea of Christianity, you you don't say that women are equal to men and shouldn't have the same authority in church, for example. But a more progressive Christian would say, you know what, that's that's an idea that's lost its time. Women are just as equal and Eligible. Yeah, so, so what? I mean, it's really hard to when you have such a differing view on an issue that gets at the core of respecting um, people's humanity and the image of God in them. How do you? Where do you start? You know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I you know, for me, I think a, a great place always to come back to is the common uh, ground and language of Scripture. Because I think um, there's a common heritage, common value space, um, common you know source of inspiration mm -hmm. um, there in the biblical text. And so if we can um, come together and say, well, okay, you know, here's these texts that you are reading as such. Um, could you explain that a little bit more? And could you explain why you read it that way? And then. Hopefully, uh, they'll well, be open to hearing your reading, and you can bring in um, things that help you read it a different way, whether it's context, time, um, and so on. Um, but well, that's at least a common, common ground. The Bible is highly inconsistent, and and you know, so I'll give you a great example. You know, in in Paul, let's assume that Paul wrote all the letters that Paul wrote. Sure. Um, you know, in one sense, he's saying, you know, under Christ, there's no master or slave, there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no male or female. But then he's also telling slaves, obey your masters. <laughs> you know, so so where's where's how how are those two kind of the same things? They're implying they're implying that a certain slavery is, you know, which was, you know, status quo at at right. 
time of the write-ins was an accepted cultural phenomenon. Um, and he's saying that, that our spirituality kind of transcends this thing. Here we are, fast forward, no one's going to argue for slavery anymore. I mean, we just aren't. No one's going to do that, no matter where you are on the Christian spectrum. No one's going to argue for slavery. So no one's going to argue that because, you know, Paul said that verse that is implicit that slavery kind of should be okay. But we don't make that exception for other things unless, like I said, the more progressive end of Christianity is able to then extrapolate, hey, if we're taking that slavery context thing and no one's advocating for slavery, why should we advocate for women being silent in church and keeping their heads covered and being subservient to their husbands and treated as property? Where, where are we still making that you know, uh, claim that, that homosexuality is, is uh, sin or wrong in God's eyes? Right. Where, where are we picking and choosing certain contexts that we're not going to fight for anymore but still fight for others? It's highly irregular and inconsistent. If you're going to use the Bible to support some form of separation, discrimination, keeping uh, one group of people as less than others, then you know it's not. It's, it's we're 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 being a little bit hypocritical. Yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, go ahead, Tina. Well, I I, I was just going to say, um, not to simplify it, um, but to me, it seems to me that it's a split between people that value rules and people that value relationships. And uh, those kind of people talk com two completely different languages. So trying to understand each other, good luck. That's a great, that's a really great point. And uh, this came up in our conversation last night at our pub theology here in Holland that, um, yes, people from a more conservative viewpoint, whether that's religiously or politically, and people who are a more progressive place on those things, they have different value sets. Um, and I'm not going to remember exactly what those were, but I think you're right. One of them was um, relationship. Um, one of them was fairness and justice on the more progressive side, whereas on the conservative side it was more purity, so keeping rules, as you said, respect for authority, loyalty to people within our own group. And so you're bringing different values to these conversations, and that affects how you read the Bible or how you try to apply it or how you try to read into the law and how the law should be applied or what the law should be. So I think that's a great point you make. But the underlying thing about that um, is that we don't respect opinions that are different than ours. Mm -hmm. We don't allow people that are rule people to be rule people and be like, okay, I, I get that you're a rule person. I get that you don't understand me. Right, because we have to live in the same space. And so we may have different values, but at the end of the day, uh, we're going to have to somehow get along in a, in a culture, in a society, in a, in, a, in a huge city or in a small town, in a big church or a small church, uh, in a neighborhood. We've got to figure out how to do it together, and there's going to be those different values, um, and they're going to butt heads, and they do. And it's okay. I think. I think. I think if we keep trying to figure out what the definitive right is—not right politically, just right versus wrong—yeah, you know that we're always gonna find ourselves in trouble as opposed to accepting that there are many rights and also many wrongs. Conversely, um, and that's okay. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, and and you you do you you live you live the life or follow the guidelines that work best for you with the caveat that you're not causing harm to another. Yeah. Uh, I think that's right. Um, and some will say have a value for law and order and regulation over causing harm. And so you see that with the current conversation on immigration, right? Some politicians are saying we need to... Um, expunge our country of anyone who's here illegally and then we need to build huge walls to keep them out whereas others say that's terribly inhumane and it's ghastly and we need to right. be compassionate and we need to keep families together not deport and split up families that are trying to just figure out life um, but when you have those different values you're going to come up with different solutions to the same problems and they both think that they're doing the right thing and, and protecting right 
and they both got millions of people behind their ideas. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And back to your um, uh, comment about the Bible, Ogan, I think you're right when we're looking at um, consistencies of the scripture um, and so on. But I think, it, so pulling back, I said it's a good common ground starting point, and I think it certainly can be. But one of the big challenges there is that how do we view that text? How do we view the scripture? And that even that is different. And so how we go into that conversation, you know, we've got different views on what that even is, how to read these texts, um, and so on. And that's going to inform our interpretation of what was said uh, way back when and then how to apply it today. And so because we come at it so differently, we might be looking at the same exact verses mm -hmm. and draw completely different conclusions. And that that's not an easy problem. But it's, again, go, going back to my caveat, I think that's okay with the caveat that as long as my interpretation isn't going to diminish or or cause insult to or um, cause another group of people to feel maligned, then I think my interpretation is okay. I think that should be our base, our base point or, 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 you know, our base level of if this interpretation holds or not. If I have an interpretation that says a group of people are not worthy or a group of people are or or or, or deemed sinful or or in, in God's eyes or something and they should not as a result, they should not have the same rights afforded to me, then that's discrimination. And I don't and you know, yeah, we can look in the Bible and see all kinds of forms of discrimination. Right happen, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what I'm saying, but here we are in 2014, we're not in, you know, 114, we're not in 14 BC, we are in 2014. Is we, it 2014? I am just, uh, I can't believe it must 20, be wrong. You know what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, were you drinking before the show? I was just checking to see who was listening. That's um, well done. Thank you. Um, so, so, we have evolved as a human race, and I think that when humanity evolves, but we still want to try and hold on to religious views that are clearly not evolved views in terms of humanity and how we treat each other, we're going to run into trouble. The two can't, the two can't go together. Right, and um, yeah, I think, you're, I think you're onto something. But, but Ogan, if you're a rules person, the rules don't change. The rules are the rules. I know. And, and I think, you know, we also need to then say, well, wherever we are, we do live in a pluralistic, secular society, right? So we don't live in a um, Christian nation or a Buddhist nation or a Muslim nation. We are a freedom of religion, separation of church and state nation with lots of different viewpoints. And so I think you're right, Ogan. You may hold personally that per your religious view, you can see someone as being sinful or less than other people, but you cannot live into that in the public square. And, and well, yeah, and, you know, that whole separation church and state thing, I mean, that's let's, let's just call it what it is. It's not real. <laughs> okay, it's, it's not real. And why, it's, and why it's not real is, you know, I think we may have discussed this here or some other time, is because... It's, I think we discussed this last week, actually. This idea that, that up to now, you, you by de facto have to be Christian to become president, to be elected president. You know, whether you're a conser on the conservative side or the progressive side, you know, far be it from anyone to say that they're not Christian. Then they're not going to get very far in the in the polls. You know, this is the first year that we have basically the two front runners, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, who were not out there professing their Christianity or that they are. And, you know, and I think this is part of the change we're going through where people are realizing, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's not, there doesn't need to be a qualifying factor anymore. But, but, right. and, and here in the U.S., regardless of the fact that, yes, we have this separation of church and state, we have freedom of worship, freedom of religion, there's still this underlying kind of ethos that Christianity is the one. Yeah, you can do whatever you want to do, but Christianity is the right one. <laughs> uh, the unwritten rule of being, being Exactly, exactly. So, 
you know, it's 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 weird. There's there's the letter of the law of separation of church and state, and then there's the spirit of the law, which is kind of like you know. Yeah, but don't you think? I mean, I think we've done an okay job of of making laws where less and less can you use purely religious justifications for a certain way of discriminating against people uh, because we've said, well, you know, maybe that's okay in your synagogue or church or, you know, place of worship, religious worship, but in terms of your place of employment and your hiring practices and housing discrimination, you just cannot do that in a secular Brian, I think that depends on what state you live in. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm living in an idealized. No, you're right. It's place. on it's on the books, but okay. being on the books and then actually living it are two totally different things. Very good, very good. And and, and any argument up to up to the point um, that the Supreme Court decided that that uh, couples, regardless of their sexual orientation, are eligible for all the rights that any couple any other couple are deserved. Any arguments that were made before it were steeped in a religious context. Sure, you know. So you're right, and that's recent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 2014. <laughs> yeah, or whatever year it is. <laughs> whatever year, <laughs> or was, or was exactly, exactly. So, so you know, we can always we can always look to the Bible to justify whatever view we are we are holding. Um, you know, so it, 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 it does become a complex issue. So as to this question of why it's so difficult to talk amongst people of differing um, views, either religiously or politically, uh, Margaret on Twitter says, it's hard not to drift along with political trends. Efforts toward cohesion and unity are uncool right now. Wow, do you really think that? I, well, I, I wondered what, what her context is in saying that. Yeah, me too. Because I I thought the young, younger generations were more towards cohesion and unity. Have you have you guys have you guys watched the Republican debate lately? <laughs> watch, watch one of those. You get what she's talking about. Um, or or here's here's a more here's a much more recent example. Um, this Supreme Court appointment thing coming up. You know, um, um, Supreme Court judge. Uh, Adnan Scalia just passed away, and uh, you know, condolences to his friends and family um, on his sudden passing. And here we have this debate coming up of conservatives saying, uh, or Republicans saying, the president should wait for the election to appoint uh, a new Supreme Court judge. When the Constitution clearly states it's the president's job to appoint a judge, and it's interesting that is it is it uh, Mitch McConnell, I think, <clears throat> strongly making this argument to wait when he also was a proponent of appointing somebody when it was, you know, when Reagan was president, um, and Reagan didn't appoint somebody in his last year of office. In his, uh, so it's, you know, so so we got this, we got this argument um, coming up again. That's not about cohesion, and and basically the Senate saying, president can do what he want. We have to okay the recommendation. So we're just not gonna. We're gonna we're gonna write it out. We're gonna write the clock out. So there's already that talk. About doing that, and again, it's it's become the power grab, the political grandstand, and the we will disagree just because we can disagree. There doesn't seem to be to be honestly um, the overall the overarching thing of let's do what's best for yes. the country. Seeking the common good does not seem to be a priority. No, 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 no. It it does not. It does not. And and that's why so many people are disenchanted. With, with politics and disengaged. I mean, but then we judge people who don't vote. Well, I don't. I don't blame them. I mean, but I. But for again, but for me, it's I. I don't blame them, but I also do encourage them to 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 not disengage, to become engaged, because the less and less folks who vote and get engaged in the political system, the more we are reinforcing what is. You know, it's 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 that whole thing about if if. Crime is being committed, and we don't we don't stand up for those who are being disenfranchised. We're 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 helping the disenfranchisement. Are you sure we're not helping the crime that's being committed? By what? Well, yeah. I mean, if you, if you're participating. No, because because look at look at what's happening now. We have we have a much higher level of participation, 
and and as a result, who are the front runners, the folks who are the most unorthodox candidates we're seeing, mm-hmm. you know, on, on both sides of the spectrum, because we have that high level of participation. Right, but I think Tina's saying that from a cynical point of view, no matter who I vote for, I'm participating in a corrupt system and from where I can see, I'm speaking for her now, uh, voting is voting is not going to make any difference. And by voting, I'm saying I, I, I acknowledge this system and I'm, and I'm having a voice in it even though I think it's corrupt. Well said, thank you. Um, I well, okay. So let's look at this on the presidential level. I I don't I don't agree with that. Given who was last elected president, and if if things continue for better or for worse, who is likely to be nominated president coming up? You know, <coughs> I don't know. Excuse me. I understand what you're saying, Ogan, but is it changing our system? Slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. So, for example, uh, you know, look at look at how the healthcare system changed with the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare slash Obamacare. That was a new, you know, that was a new way of doing things. For so many years, insurance companies could do what they want, deny health care to anybody that they wanted to. You know, you can right. get health insurance if you had a pre-existing condition. You can keep your kids on your health insurance when they became adults. There were so many things put in place. And we had, and I'll admit, I think more should have been done. I think he, you know, he caved from his single-payer plan, but but at least he did something different. There was a shift. There was an evolution. Anybody can go out and anybody, regardless of their state of health, can go and get health insurance now. You know, that's I, I will agree that there have been baby steps, but I'm going to pause this as yeah. we're sort of jumping down a uh, purely political uh, path here, uh, and I want to get our comment from Facebook here. Brene says on this uh, issue of why is it so hard to communicate across... Um, these uh, boundaries. She says, I don't think anyone wants to be dehumanized by being mocked or shamed or called evil or selfish or ungodly. If you're acting toward your Christian brother who's on the other side of the aisle the same way the world is, it's time to look in the mirror for change. So I think she's saying we ought to have a higher level of engagement within the community of faith that we might model to people who are outside of that and are also struggling to engage. I agree completely. Well said. Yeah, Brene, if you make a wise comment like that next week, you might be in the running for free beer, so keep up the good work. <laughs> next month. It's not starting in March. Oh, okay. Next month. Yes, next month. Okay. Next month. Teasing them. Stay tuned for details. Exactly. So have you found any... Um, I think we'll just stick with, uh, stick with this path in the moments we have left. Any... Anything you have found effective in um, hearing people out uh, from different views and and doing it in a way that's uh, reasonable and civil? Well, I, I you know I say to people that when we get agitated or upset or angry with views that are opposite to ours, kind of really use it as an opportunity for spiritual growth because if we're getting angry, we're obviously being triggered. Right. by something within us. Um, and for me, my, my belief is if we're being triggered by something within us, there's something in us that still needs to be either forgiven, healed, accepted, you know, and and if we're, if we're becoming angry, upset, and separating ourselves from those who are opposed to us, we're, we're just as bad. You know, we're not, we're, not, we're not helping the situation. We're not bridging the gap. So really, you know, when I, when I, there are many folks in my church who are like, viscerally upset with the idea of Donald Trump being president or or the things he's saying and it's really stoking their anger and I'm like well why are you becoming angry what is it within you that might be triggered by what he's saying and to really be honest with yourself you know is there some deep latent fear that really is coming up that you don't want him to voice is he you know kind of the embodiment of you know our own dark side that we don't want to admit that we have about certain things to kind of really look at it as an in, as an opportunity for introspection. Great, great. Yeah, and even though he's saying it very badly and very poorly and in a very mean way, is there is there underlying what he's saying any validity at all? Is there anything there that we can say, you know, 
he may have a point that and is it a case of just being desperate for for change i mean looking past the obvious you know him him really doing a masterful job of harnessing the angst of people and and you know I'm convinced it's on his part all a show in many ways. He, I think yeah. he knows better, but I think he's playing this act and this role. But I, I really like what you said about paying attention to what's happening both in you and what, how is something striking you and what's what's happening there and what yeah. what is that triggering for you, but then also looking at what is being tapped into when people are drawn to a message that you find perhaps a bit troubling or think maybe that's not the best thing, but what is it that's pulling them in, and is there another way to speak to those same anxieties, fears, concerns, hopes, etc.? Exactly, and in a way that in a way that, that promotes our humanity of everyone, not not degrades it. That's right. That's right. Tina, any last thoughts on uh, you know how to have a conversation with yeah, someone? You're being oddly when, silent tonight. What's going on? When they're when they're just like they're just here on an issue, and you're here. Is any any I, I I get silent and I nod my head and I just I just honestly I speak more on this show about this stuff than any other place. I just keep my thoughts to myself. Yeah, well, I understand the wanting to um, sometimes just keep the uh, conflict to a minimum because sometimes uh, we're better off for doing what you said, just saying, you know what, it's not the best time or place for me to engage you with this issue because I can already tell it's not going to go well and so yeah. for the sake of the relationship I'm you know let I want to value that over whether we figure out you know a solution on this issue or not um, and I've had to do that at times as well and I think uh, there's definitely some wisdom there also I think we should, I think we should uh, go back to street fights if we just went back to street fights it would be a lot easier yeah, you, you such a guy you, thing to say. Have an argument. You go. Do you remember Anchorman? Oh my goodness! <laughs> the movie exactly. Anchorman, where all the yeah. newscasters just had the rival newscaster gangs. Yes. <laughs> not in the face. Not in the face. Oh, we just we each need to be armed with like a bag of tomatoes, and you know, <laughs> we can just meet up in an alley somewhere. No, I I, I joke. I joke, of course. Um, but here's 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 the thing, though. Here's the thing. I I always go back to. Uh, regardless of of where we are with our opposing political views in this country, we still we are still a country that will, when it comes down to it, choose civility. Like we're not breaking we we are not breaking out into real street fights. We're not we're not having military coups. We're not overthrowing our government. We're yeah. even though we don't agree with a lot of things being done or the people who are running for office or whatever, we still keep it, you know, in a in a civil place and 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 follow the process. And when even when people we don't like are elected, we say, Okay, we'll regroup and come back in the next four years or whenever the next election. Really, Ogan? It's that we're that kind about it? <laughs> oh, we're no, we're verbally verbally we're not kind. But I mean when we look at countries where there are literal Wars going on and coups happening. Internal coups, yeah. In the streets. And you don't think we're headed for that? Some no. would say we're due for one. No, we're not. We're not gonna. We're not gonna get there. No, we're not gonna get there. Well, you I, I are. Don't, I simply don't believe we are. Okay. We're optimistic, and uh, I think we'll end on an optimistic note. So thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. Uh, you can listen live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. at pubtheology.com slash ptlive. And you can listen anytime at soundcloud.com slash pubtheologylive to the podcast. So thanks all for tuning in live and those who will tune in later. And we will see you back next week. Look for a Pub Theology gathering happening near you by going to pubtheology.com slash directory. And thank you to our sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar, C-E-L-L-A-R, craftbeercellar.com. Go check them out, and also, uh, if you find out one near you, check out the Bear of the Month Club. That's all I'm going to say, Bear of the Month Club. Oh. It's going to be something interesting. All right, I think it's time to maybe start the music and get us on out of here. Does that sound about right? Sounds good. Do it. <laughs>